All right. Well, are you ready for God's word today? All right, grab your Bible and turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. It's going to be a fun day, everybody. Acts chapter 1. And I am in a series called The Holy Spirit, or we just called it Holy Spirit. And what I really felt prompted, really by the Holy Spirit, by God, um, I felt prompted to teach about the Holy Spirit. And that's what we've been doing the last few weeks is we've been teaching about the Holy Spirit. And so today we're going to be in Acts chapter 1. And what I love, let me tell you one thing I love about our church. What I love about our church is that we're very diverse. We're like a virtual cornucopia of religious backgrounds. And I love that because there are people in this room and maybe you're raised Catholic or you're raised Presbyterian or you, I know we're in the Bible Belt, so I know we got Baptist in here, right? Do we have any front row Baptists? Because that's a revival when you get a Baptist on the front row, right? No? Okay, one. Oh, by God, we're in revival. Got a Baptist on the front row. Right, and so all the Pentecostals are in the back, but they're going to be running to the front here in just a minute, and so <laughs> with a tambourine, somebody. But anyways, um, <laughs> but I, I love it about our church because we have people from various backgrounds, and then we have people that just weren't raised in church. They're like, we just don't know. We, you know, we just I, this is all new to us. And so today, uh, I'm going to talk about the Holy Spirit. Again, but before I did, since it's Father's Day and I don't really have a Father's Day message per se, right? I do have a message from the Father, just, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you see how I did that? I just made that very spiritual. And so, um, but I thought I would share a couple of dad jokes because my kids love it when I do this. And like my favorite dad joke, y'all, it's one of my favorite dad jokes ever. Is, yeah, just brace yourself. They're not funny, but they're fun. Um, was uh, I had a neighbor who named his dog Five Miles because he wanted to walk five miles a day. Today, he ran over five miles. Oh, yeah, that's a great one. Come on, son. Come on. Come on. One of my favorite ones. But I thought, since we're doing dad jokes, since we're talking about the Holy Spirit, I would have a little fun with this one. So we're going to pose this question. How many Christians does it take to change the light bulb? Are you ready? How many Christians does it take to change the light bulb? Well, if they're charismatic, it just takes one because their hands are already in the air. Come on, somebody. Um, if they're Pentecostal, it takes 10, one to change the light bulb, and nine to bind the powers of darkness. If they're Presbyterian, it takes none because the lights will go on and off at predestined times. Uh, if they're Catholic, none because they use candles. For Baptists, it takes 15 because you're going to need three committees one to suggest the change, one to approve the suggestion, and one to approve the approval of the change, and then one person to be commissioned to change the light bulb. <laughs> Come on, you know it's true. That's why we're laughing. You know it's true. Um, and then Episcopalian, you're going to need three. One's going to call the electrician, one's going to mix the drinks, and one's going to talk about how much better the old light bulb was than the new light bulb. If you're Methodist, it's undetermined whether your light is bright, dull, or completely burned out, but it is determined that you are loved. You can be a light bulb, a turnip bulb, or a tulip bulb. It's okay with us. Churchwide lighting service is planned for Sunday. Bring a bulb of your choice and a covered dish. <laughs> Come on, man. I didn't write it, so don't email me. Okay, don't email me. I never forget. I told a, a bad, and I tell all kinds of bad, I think you got to, 
sometimes you just got to have, like, you can't take yourself too seriously, right? And I told a joke, a gentleman in our church who, who had been a, raised in a Baptist church his whole life, he had all these Baptist church jokes, and he used to love to tell them, and they were funny. And he told me one, and I said one time, I said, oh, this is a joke God told and it was about, and I got an email from Lace. she said, I'm so offended. And I'm like, come on, man, I didn't even write the joke. I didn't even... So I didn't ride the joke. Anyways, if you're Nazarene, it's going to take six. One woman's going to replace the light bulb while five men review the church policy on light bulbs. If you're Lutheran, it takes none because Lutherans do not believe in change. Um, <laughs> as far as Church of Christ, there will be no using of light bulbs because light bulbs are not mentioned in the New Testament and therefore they are unscriptural and will not be used. Where's the, where are the security team? I'm probably going to need some help getting out of here. <laughs> I'm going to make sure everybody's offended. Anyways, if you're Amish, uh, what's a light bulb? Um, and then Unitarian, we choose not to make a statement either in favor or against the need for a light bulb. However, if on your journey you have found a light bulb works for you, that's fine with us. You're invited to write a poem, compose a modern dance about your light bulb for next Sunday, sir, and during which time we'll explore a number of light bulb traditions, including incandescent, fluorescent, three-way, lifelong, and tinted, all of which are equally valid past illuminants. <laughs> come on, that's pretty good, come on. And now you know why I preach, because my jokes aren't that good. <laughs> don't say my preaching is bad. That's all I got left. Okay, don't say that. Um, so Acts chapter 1, um, let's, uh, let's read this together. Acts chapter 1, it says this. In the first book, O Theophilus, a lot of people ask about who Theophilus was. This is Luke writing. So Luke wrote, obviously, the Gospel of Luke. He also wrote the book of Acts which um, actually gives him more words in the New Testament than the Apostle Paul, because Luke, like me, was long-winded. Um, Paul wrote more books. Uh, Luke wrote 20, almost 25%. Paul wrote just 24%, whatever. Anyways, just so, I know you're wondering about these things, and so I just wanted to help you. But Theophilus, we don't know who it is. There's a lot of theories. Could have been a high priest. He could have been a lot of things. The most commonly accepted theories, he was a Gentile, and he was actually a devout Roman officer, uh, and it's, it's in the way that he greets him um, that it's kind of the way Paul greeted Felix. And so, um, so most people ascribe that. Either way, it's written to say the faith that you have believed is, is on good ground, essentially, because this is why Luke, he's like, I want you to know what you believed is valid. Continue believing is why he's wrote. So in the first book, O Theophilus, Theophilus I've, by the way, if you're looking for a baby name, Theophilus is up for grabs. <clears throat> Uh -huh. And so uh, I've dealt with all that. It's a very biblical name. Anyways, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until that day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented them to himself alive uh, and to them after his suffering for many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait on the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, he, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, 
and a cloud took him out of their sight. Um, I call this message powerful, powerful. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this time and really an opportunity, God, to sit in your house, in your presence. And God, we are reminded in this moment that your presence isn't ethereal because of the Holy Spirit. We can sense your presence and we can know your presence. We can hear your voice. Holy Spirit, we pray you would come and teach because you're, you're the best teacher in the universe. And so, God, I pray for my friends, God, that we just wouldn't miss an opportunity with you and that we would lean in. And, God, we would receive from you without anything getting in the way. God, we just receive from you. So, Holy Spirit, speak to us today. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. So I'm going to tell you what I'm going to talk about, and that is I want to talk about what some people would refer to and, and many in our church would refer to as I would refer to it. I'm going to talk about the baptism with or in the Holy Spirit. Now, I understand when I say that, for some people who don't have church experience, they're like, okay, what's that? For some people who have been taught about a baptism with or in the Holy Spirit, they're like, finally our day has arrived. And then there are also people in our church who have not been taught, or in my opinion, maybe have been taught incorrectly, or not taught fully, and that might be also accurate. And there are probably people that just turned off the live stream because they were taught against it, you know? And, and so what I want to do, and I want you to understand, I'm not trying, I just, just want everybody to relax. I want us to understand the Bible. And if it's in the Bible, I want to understand it. Does that make sense? And, and in fact, a lot of the Bible, in fact, Paul wrote many times, now concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant. So the Bible was given to us so that we could understand what we can understand and know what we can know. And a lot of what Paul is saying is, hey, I don't want you to not understand some things that you can understand. I understand there are some mysteries reserved for God. And the Bible even talks about that. There are some mysterious things that, quite frankly, we just don't quite understand. And it's okay even for pastors to say, you know what? I can be very clear on things the Bible's very clear on, but there are some things that are a mystery and the Bible's clear enough to let me know they're mysterious, Right? which, you, by the way, you always need mystery. Your walk with God is always about revelation and mystery. And anytime God brings revelation, it brings mystery because faith is necessary where you don't understand. So God has to move you forward. The maturity of faith is we move in what we do understand while in the same time what we understand introduces us to something else we don't understand. And God moves those things how we mature. Like I understand more things than I've ever understood. And I also understand there's some things I don't understand. But in those things I don't understand, right? That's where I trust God. That's where faith is required. Once I understand, a lot of times faith is no longer required because now I know, right? And so God moves us from faith to faith. So, so having said that, when we talk about the baptism with and the Holy Spirit, I want us to know if it's in the Bible, I want us to understand what we can understand and I want us to know what we can know. And if the Bible suggests that it's necessary, needed, or valid, I want us to understand that. But I also know in talking about a subject like this that some people we have, listen, the way we're raised are experiences, right? A lot of people have biases against what they call Pentecostal things, not because of the word of God, but because of an experience with a Pentecostal person. Some people have biases against Christianity, not because of the Bible, not because of God, but because of experiences they have, right? 
And, and I want us to understand, like, if it's in the Bible, I, I want us to understand. And so we had to talk about it. So we're going to go through a lot. I'm going to do a lot of what I call teaching today, a lot of explaining. We're going to go through a lot. of. We're just going to look at the Bible. And what I'm going to say, if it's in the Bible, it's okay. Right? It's in the Bible. We need to understand. And if the Bible makes it, if the Bible clarifies it, we need to understand what the Bible clarifies. Right? I just want us to understand that. And, and I want us to understand that the verse we just read, uh, we're, we're, where Jesus said, I want you to go and wait in Jerusalem for the promise. I want you to understand that he didn't say go and wait in Jerusalem for the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. He said, go and wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Holy Spirit, for an experience with a person, not a doctrine, right? And I want you to understand doctrine is good, but sometimes doctrine in doctrine, we limit a lot of what God does, especially if we don't have fully complete doctrine. And all doctrine is man's attempt to explain the Bible, right? And it's good. You need it. We, we have doctrine. I have doctrine. But I want you to understand that um, the Trinity is not the Father, Son, and Holy Bible. The Trinity is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we need to understand what we can understand about the Holy Spirit. And I want you to understand that God didn't send a doctrine. He sent a person. Are you with me? And if it comes from God, it's not somebody we need to be scared of because only good and perfect gifts come from God, according to James. Are you with me? And so I just want you to understand that as we, as we dive in. This should be fun. And I also want you to understand, no one's going to try, no, no one's doing anything weird today. I mean, any weirder than normal. And, um, you know, and, and uh, no one's trying to get anybody to do anything today. And we've already locked all the doors. Okay. And... Um, <laughs> So, but we won't bring the snakes out until the end when the banner and streamer lady comes, okay? <laughs> Come on, sometimes you just got to have fun. You know what I'm saying? Just got to have a little fun and just kind of calm everybody down. So I only have two points. It doesn't make the message any shorter. Um, I only have two points. And... Um, and I, we had a guy, bless his heart, he used to meet me after every service, and he would say, Pastor, you know what else you could have said in your message? He was one of those that had the gift of unencouragement um, <laughs> or discouragement. And, and I told him, I said, I am the longest-winded preacher I know. Do you really want to go down the road of what else I could have said? <laughs> you would die. You would starve to death. There, anyways. Two points. The first point is the longest, so don't get nervous. Number one is this. There are three baptisms. There are three baptisms. I'm going to show you all the way through the Bible. We're going to spend a lot of time on it. But there are three baptisms. So let's talk about what they are. Number one, um, we would call this one salvation, but the Holy Spirit baptizes us into Jesus. Okay? Let me show you this in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For by one Spirit, how many know this capitalized Holy Spirit? For by one spirit, we are all baptized or immersed into one body, that being the body of Christ. And it goes on to say, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves are free, and we've all been made to drink into one spirit. So, so here's the first baptism. I don't think anybody has a problem with this one. We call it salvation. Some, uh, some denominations, some doctrines call it the, the uh, baptism of love because they go to Romans chapter 5 and said the love of God is poured into our heart by the Holy Spirit. And so they say this is the baptism of the love of God, which is salvation. I don't think that's necessarily incorrect, but just going with what Paul said, that we are, everybody said, we are baptized, what? The Spirit, 
baptizes us into Jesus. All right? Is everybody clear on what we just read? So we call that salvation. Here's the second one. A follower of Jesus can baptize us in water. So this is a disciple, right? We did this, uh, I don't know, a few weeks ago. We baptized 29 uh, people last baptism weekend. And when we baptize, sometimes like uh, we'll have a pastor doing the baptism, but sometimes we just have a leader or a disciple, essentially someone who's following Jesus. And a lot of times dads will baptize their kids and sometimes husbands will baptize their family. It's all fine as long as that person's a disciple, according to the Bible, right? This is, we understand this from the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And by the way, that's, that's how we baptize. We don't baptize in Jesus' name only. There, there are denominations that do. We don't because Jesus, when he told us to go baptize that word, this is why we immerse in water because the word baptism or baptize means to immerse, but we immerse in water in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the only reason we do that is because that's just simply what the Bible says, right? That's, and, and so the Bible says, we can be, disciples can baptize us in water. Now, I want to point out here that in Ephesians, there's a verse in Ephesians that says there is one baptism. And a lot of people teach that and they say, well, there is only one baptism. But I want you to understand the same context. Paul says there is one Lord, but we believe in the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? Because we baptize in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we talk Trinity, right? So there's one Lord and there's one Spirit. And in fact, it says where the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit is the Lord, where the Spirit of the Lord is. So, so in other words, there's one Lord, but it's Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He says there's one baptism. And a lot of people take that and say, see, there's only one baptism. I'd like to point out, though, that most of the people that use that verse to say there's one baptism actually believe in two. I don't math well, but baptism of, of spirit into Jesus, spirit baptizes me in Jesus, one. Disciple baptizes me in water, that's two. Most people believe that, but they'll say there's just one baptism, but they actually believe in two. Right? So, so a disciple can baptize us um, in water. Now, here's the third one. Here's where it gets fun. We're going to spend a lot of time on this one. Jesus baptizes us in or with the Holy Spirit. All right, let me show you this. So Matthew 3, verse 11. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So this is, by the way, this is John the Baptist talking. The first person in your Bible, really in the New Testament, to declare a third baptism with or in the Holy Spirit is the Baptist. Like John the Baptist. And he says this, there's one coming after me. Now, some people say, well, John was talking to the 12. But you understand, he's about to bab he hasn't baptized Jesus yet. Jesus didn't call the 12 until after he was baptized, so the 12 aren't present. Some people say, well, he's talking to the 120. Well, how do you know this is the same people that are going to be you know, in the book of Acts three years later? Like it's not, he's not talking to the 12 and he's not talking to the, the 120. So who's he talking to? He's talking, he's making a declarative statement, essentially prophetically by the Holy Spirit saying, I baptize with water, but there's another one coming and he will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, let's talk about that for just a minute. 
Because remember the first baptism. Because we, let's, let, let me say this. Let's set aside theology for a minute. And let's talk about grammar. So the first baptism we talked about was the Holy Spirit baptizes me into Jesus. So the Holy Spirit's the subject, baptizes the verb, the object is Jesus. Do you see that? Holy Spirit baptizes me into Jesus, right? My God, I didn't know it was going to be a grammar. Like, it's okay, Bubba. I'm not that smart. This is going to be simple. <laughs> so did, you get, did everybody see the Spirit baptizes in the body? Everybody remember that? It's the Holy Spirit baptizes me in Jesus. Second baptism, disciple baptizes me in water. Does that make sense? Third baptism, Matthew chapter 3, there's one coming after me. It's mighty than I. He's, he's sandals I can't tie. He will baptize you. Who is he? Jesus will baptize you with or in the Holy Spirit. Now, I just want to take the middle one out for a second. I'll come back to baptism water. But John, the Baptist, can't be talking about salvation because in salvation, the Holy Spirit baptizes or immerses me in the body of Christ. Everybody with me? And according to John, Jesus then baptizes me or immerses me in the Holy Spirit. So when I'm saved, the Holy Spirit immerses me in Jesus. But John's saying there's another baptism, baptism where Jesus immerses you in the Holy Spirit. They can't be the same because the subjects and objects aren't the same. Are you with me? I'm just talking about grammar. Let me go through it again. The subject, when we get saved, the Holy Spirit, that's the subject, baptizes, this verb, me and Jesus. But John said there's someone coming after me, Jesus, and Jesus will baptize or immerse you with her in the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? I, I want to just point out that, <clears throat> and, and this is very clear in the Bible, so let me help you with this one. When you're saved, the Holy Spirit indwells you. I think this has been one of the biggest contingencies of confusion because well-meaning people have said, well, I'm a spirit-filled Christian. Well, every Christian is spirit-filled. Are you with me? The Bible is very clear. I'm not going to go through all the scriptures, but I don't think most people would debate this. The Bible is very clear, very clear, very clear that when I receive Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells me. Right? His spirit wears witness with my spirit. Right, I'm the son of God. His spirit, same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, gives life to my being. It's Romans 8. Right? So, so, but I want you to see there's a difference between me being filled with the spirit and me being immersed in the spirit. Okay, I didn't do the analogy because this message is going to go long, but I'll give you the picture. If I took a glass of water and filled it full to the top of water, and I said, you're the glass and the water is the Holy Spirit. And I said, that's salvation. Like you're the glass and you get saved. The water fills all the way to the, it's full of spirit, right? But, but John's talking about something else because said, then Jesus will immerse me in the Holy Spirit. So if I took that glass of water that was full, right? And I said, that's salvation. John's talking about taking that glass of water that's full and submerging or immersing it in another bucket of water. He's talking, these aren't the same thing. It's what, what I want you to see. Okay, so Jesus baptizes with, or in the Holy Spirit. Um, the, the baptism with our Holy Spirit is referenced in all four Gospels. So let me explain this. So 
most people understand this, but if you don't, the Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what we call synoptic gospels, meaning they're similar. You see a lot of the similar things in them, and they're similar because they kind of use the same, uh, you know, chronology, chronology, yeah, the same timeline, in that they have the birth of Jesus, and then they kind of jump to the last year of Jesus' ministry, and then have the death and the, and the resurrection, or crucifixion and resurrection, okay, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John's different, John was written like 90 AD, it was written a lot later, the others were kind of written mid-century. John was written a lot later. And John actually talks about the coming of Jesus. John chapter 1, it almost sounds like Genesis. But then he covers the first part of Jesus' ministry. That's why you see miracles in John that you don't see in the Synoptic Gospels, like turning the water into wine. So there are very few things. In fact, there are like five things that you see in all four Gospels. You see the, the birth of Jesus, and you see the death and you see the resurrection, and you see the feeding of the 5,000. That's in all, all four. But then also you see the baptism enter with the Holy Spirit. Uh, we read it in Matthew 3, but you can also find it in Mark 1, 18, Luke 3, 16, and John 1, 33. So I, I, wanna, I want you to understand it's all three, and then I want to show you a pattern. So I'm going to show you a pattern in Scripture. Are you ready? How are you doing? You still breathing? Anybody run out yet? Let me show you a pattern. So there's a pattern in Scripture that you see where you see salvation and water and spirit. Salvation, water, and spirit. And I want to show you this in, in the book of Acts because it's several times in the book of Acts, but then we'll look in a few other places. All right? All three baptisms. I want you to see this. So Acts chapter 2, this is, this is the day of Pentecost. Peter replied, repent and be baptized. So repent, what's that? That's salvation. Right? Be baptized, well, he's obviously talking about water, every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Very clear, it's baptism. And then he says this, so repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. All right? And you receive. So there's, so what we have, salvation, water, and spirit. Does everybody see those three things? All right, so now let's go to Acts chapter 8. This is Philip in Samaria. Watch this. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So time out. Verse 12 just said they believed, right? That's salvation. And then they were baptized, both men and women. That's water. Baptism. Everybody see that? Was that very clear? They believed and they were baptized, right? Let's jump to verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers. Now, were they believers? So had they received the Holy Spirit? Well, they prayed for these new believers who had received the Holy Spirit that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them and they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus or baptized in water. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So time out, I got some questions. <clears throat> If there's only two baptisms, which is to have faith in Jesus and be saved, repent of your sin, and be water baptized, it was very clear in verse 12 that they believed, so they were born again, and they were baptized in water, both men and women. And the church's response to their faith in Jesus and their baptism in water was, let's send Peter and John so they can receive the Holy Spirit. Now, we all agreed and believed and said that when I accept Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells me. Remember how we said that? So it would have been the same for them. And by the way, the doctrine that we base what we're talking about on and the way we believe was written by these guys. 
And the guys, right, who are writing the Bible that we base the doctrine on, when they heard, oh, they've repented of their sin and been baptized in water, they said, we need to dispatch John and Peter to go that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now, if those are the same thing, we, I, we got a problem. Now, I didn't write any of it. I'm just reading it. Do you see that? Let's look at Paul in Ephesus. So Acts chapter 19, verse one. When Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road from the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples, so they're disciples, right? And asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now look at that question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? Now, if we said when we believe, we receive the Holy Spirit. Now he's asking them, but did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He's differentiating between two different things. Are you with me? And then they went to a church that maybe some of you went to because they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? What's this? John's baptism. And Paul said, John's baptism, look at this. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He is differentiating between baptisms here. Do you see this? He said his was a baptism of repentance, and he told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, look, Paul rebaptizes them. Look, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's water. He took them back to the water and said, I need to make sure that y'all have repented of your sins and that you've received John's baptism. And then, verse 6, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Now, look. If you have a doctrine about grace and you know, salvation by grace through faith, like most of the doctrine that, that we subscribe to and hold to, the second coming of Jesus, all of those things, most of it is because of Paul's writing. Are you with me? One of the greatest apostles that ever lived, arguably the greatest apostle that ever lived. So most of our doctrine that we hold to, and I'm going to tell you this, probably if you have a doctrine on the Holy Spirit at all, it's got some of Paul's writings in it. But here's what Paul does. Paul shows up in Ephesus and he finds some believers and they say, we're followers of Jesus. And he said, oh, okay, well, tell me what baptism did you, then did you receive? He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit? That's because they said, we're followers of Jesus. Well, they're followers of Jesus. The Holy Spirit indwelled them. Are you with me? And they said, well, we're followers of Jesus. And he said, then he said this, well, I want to know, did you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? They said, we didn't know there's a Holy Spirit. So then he says, wait a second, I need, what, what did y'all receive? Well, we received John's baptism, which was a baptism of repentance, meaning they'd come to salvation. And then Paul said, well, let's get baptized again so I know you're baptized. And then he said this, now I'm going to lay my hands on you and pray for you that you would receive the promise, the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you that when we talk about salvation and the Holy Spirit indwelling us, Paul is differentiating between that experience and another experience. And, and it's very clear. Right here. I mean, it's, it's in his writings. We see it throughout Scripture. Salvation, Water, spirit. Now, and I know, and I know this, and I know because there are people that say, well, you know, this was just a unique time in the church. 
Um, so there's a couple of things, a couple of arguments. So, and I know they exist, and it's fine. It, but people say, well, this was just God was birthing the church, and there was this, this was something needed to birth the church. If that's the case, you have to find where God stopped it in the Bible. Because we have a lot of people who believe God doesn't do anything and, or do some things that he used to do. There are a lot of people who teach this. Well, God doesn't do these things anymore. That was something he did for a shorter period of time because they didn't have the Bible, right? And, and they needed this, this, whatever they call this. But what I want you to understand, you got to find, well, where did it stop? Just like some people believe, well, there are no, there's nothing demonic anymore. There are no more demons. Well, you got to find where, they're stopped, where they stopped at, Right? Listen, I want to say something really quickly. Like, I love teaching the Bible, but you need to understand that you need to be responsible to know what it says. And just because someone stands on a platform with a microphone and tells you something does not necessarily make it true. You need to know. When Paul said rightly dividing the word of truth, he wasn't talking to Bible school students. He was talking to believers. I never forget, we had a man, I mentioned something in the Bible uh, or mentioned something in a message, and I said, you know, this isn't in the Bible. And it offended this man. He called me. He was a wonderful man. It wasn't a bad conversation at all. But this man, who was an older man than I, he said, you know, Pastor, I just don't believe that. And I said, okay, well, you don't believe that. Can, can you show me that in the Bible? And he said, well, I can't show you in the Bible, but I've been taught that my whole life. And I said, well, for about eight years, I was taught a fat man came down my chimney once a year in a red suit and brought me <laughs> presents. But that didn't make that actually true. It was just something I believed. And you can believe something that's not true. That's why we have the Word of God. Are you with me? That's why we have the Word of God. Because we need to understand. So some people say, well, you know, it, it, it passed away. It passed away. Well, you can't find it in the Bible. Let me walk you through the book of Acts. So there's five times in the book of Acts where you see people receive what I would call baptism with or in the Holy Spirit. Four of them... Uh, denote supernatural signs, or you might say tongues, which I'm actually going to talk about that, and it freaks people out. Two words that divide a church, tongues and tithe. Man, you preach on tithe, you're going to lose half of the church. You preach on tongues, you're going to lose the other half. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, it's just, you know, so, but we're going to talk about because how many know if it's in the Bible, we need to understand what we can understand. But I want you to understand, out of five times in the book of Acts, uh, four, they saw supernatural, what we call gifts of spirit or things. Um, but I want you to understand, you see it, uh, Acts chapter 2, that's the day of Pentecost, right? We read that. That's where Peter says, you know, receive the Holy Spirit. But then we read from Acts chapter 8. Do you realize that is five years after the day of Pentecost? Then Acts chapter 10 is where Peter goes to Cornelius' house, and this is where the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles. And it says, they, Peter laid his hands, they were saved. They were baptized. I don't have time to show you this one. You can read it in Acts chapter 8. Then, then, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 10. Then Peter laid his hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues. That was 10 years after the day of Pentecost. And when Paul is in Ephesus, and he's asking them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? That's 25 years after the day of Pentecost. So, so when someone says, well, you know, it's just for a short season. Well, it's still going 25 years later. And then some of you say, well, we needed this until the Bible came. But remember, it's not Father, Son, Holy, Holy Bible. And they'll use a verse where, where Paul said, when that which is perfect has come, these things will pass away out of 1 Corinthians. But I want you to understand, perfect, when he's talking about the context, you go read it. 
what is perfect is talking about the second coming of Christ because it says tongues will cease and so will knowledge. Well, if knowledge has ceased, I've got more questions. Now, I do meet people every day that make me think knowledge has ceased. <laughs> you know you wanted to say that too. But I'm saying you look at how fast knowledge is growing. We live in the information age and all the things you can Google and find out and you can fix anything you want to with a YouTube video nowadays and all that we're doing medically and all these types of things. Knowledge hasn't ceased. Right? But they'll say when that was just perfect and they'll say when the word of God came, when we got in 383 when scripture was canonized, then all of a sudden we didn't need these things. But my question is, those things, if Jesus said we need these things, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, if we need these things, if they needed these things to live in this world successfully, I think I might need these things to live in this world successfully. Because how many know, how many know the times changed, but the calling didn't? They received the Bible, but the disciples, the, the first century church had the same calling of us, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And if they needed the power of the Holy Spirit to go into all the world and preach the gospel, don't you think I need the Holy Spirit to go into all the world and preach the gospel? whether or not I have the Bible or not. And you know how much I love the Bible. We're talking about the Bible. So you see it. Um, how are y'all doing? This might be a good time to say, I love you. <laughs> you look so good today. You do. Happy Father's Day. <laughs> We're buying you a brat. Anyways, um, so, so salvation, water, and spirit. Let me show you this. 1 John 5, 7. 1 John 5, 7. It says this, for there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word. Time out. What's, who is the Word? Well, we know it's Jesus because of Revelation 19, and we know it's Jesus because of John chapter 1, right? Revelation 19 said, and his name was the Word of God. Very clearly, John chapter 1 said, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we know that Jesus is the Word because the Bible is very clear on it. So, so there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three agree as one. So there's your Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they bear, what do they bear witness to? Well, they bear witness to salvation, redemption, the supernatural life that, that God enables all of us to live. And you say, well, I'm not, I can't live. Super do you understand salvation is supernatural? Go try to explain that naturally. How I can believe, like I can be a hot mess riddled with all kinds of sin and everything else and I can put my faith in the perfect work of Jesus and be forever redeemed. Now, you explain that to me, how, that, how God does that. It's absolutely supernatural. And so they bear witness, these three, in heaven. Wouldn't it be amazing if there were three that bore witness on earth? Because, you know, Jesus said, on earth as is heaven. That's what we're told to pray for. It's ultimately what God wants to happen is heaven on earth. God wants, you know, on heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. The way this whole thing ends, Revelation 20, is I saw a new Jerusalem coming down. The dwelling place of God was, man, it's, it's, it's heaven on earth. This is what God's all about. Wouldn't it be great if there are three that testify in heaven? And wouldn't it be great if there were three that testify on earth? Well, let's read verse 8. And there are three that bear witness on earth. That's amazing. The spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. Well, what is the blood? That's salvation. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Right? What's well, water? Well, that's easy. Water baptism. What's well, the spirit? So you see the same pattern. Salvation, water, and spirit. It, it's all, listen to me, it is all through the Bible. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. And before I read verse 1, I want to tell you what verse 6 says. I'm going to read verse 1. But I'm going to tell you two things first. Number one, verse six says, and these things were written for our admonition or to be an example or for our encouragement. 
Okay? So what things? Well, we're going to read this in verse 1. The next thing I want to tell you is remember, Moses is a type, if you will, a symbolic shadow, if you will, of Jesus, the deliverer. Right? Because Israel trusted in Moses and he led them out of Egypt. Right? The, by, by the way, the Bible says this. There are several verses, but I don't have time for every verse or we'd be here all day. Right? So are you with me? So Moses is a deliverer who's a type or shadow of Jesus in the Old Testament. He is not Jesus. Let me be very clear. He is not Jesus. It's not what I'm saying. He's a type or shadow of Jesus in the Old Testament. Are you with me? All right. So with that, what things were written for our admonition? Well, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers... So Paul's always saying, hey, I don't want you to not know. I want you to know some things. Why 1 Corinthians 12 says, I don't want you to, to I want you to understand, or, or the old King James says, don't want you to be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. In other words, I want you to know. So look at this. He says, for do not be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all, look at this, under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food. Did you see this? So what he said, our ancestors. So this is a type or a foreshadow. Remember, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. You can always find what's in the New Testament in the Old Testament. Sometimes, though, it's traced in shadows, but it's there. So he said, these things for our admonition, they were all, what, they all passed through the water. They all were passed through the cloud, and they were baptized into Moses. Well, let's back up. So, so let's go to this journey. Well, what is salvation when you see them? Well, baptized into Moses means they trust in Moses to deliver them. So who do we trust in to deliver us? Jesus. So when they followed Moses, they came out of Egypt. Remember this? Some of you remember it from your Bible. Some of you remember the old school movie, you know, the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, whichever version you're using today, whether it's Moses or Charlton Heston, they came out of Egypt, everybody. Right? And that's salvation. Then they passed through the Red Sea, water baptism. And then they went to Mount Sinai where a cloud descended, which was the origin or the beginning of Pentecost, which we see the fulfillment of in Acts chapter 1 and 2. Really, Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. Do, do you see? Like, it's, it's all in your, your Bible that there are these three. There are these three baptisms. Like, what, what about Abraham? What about Abraham, the father of our faith? Think about this. Abraham was called out of Ur. Well, when we're called out of the world, they were not of faith, out of worship. He said, when they're called out, what is that? Salvation. Then he was circumcised. What's that? Water baptism. Paul says water baptism is like a circumcision of the heart. It says that in Colossians. Then God changed his name because most of you know his name wasn't Abraham. It was Abram. And God put the... The H in it, which is ruah, which actually means breath in the Hebrew. So essentially, here's Abraham. He's saved. He's called out of Ur. He's water baptized through circumcision, another type of shadow. And then God puts an H or puts his breath in him. And he did the same for Sarai. She was Sarai. God took the I out, put the breath in, which is what he needs to do with a lot of us. Take us out, put his breath and spirit in. Right? But do, do you see it? Do you see it? What about, what about the tabernacle? The tabernacle of Moses. So many great teachings about the tabernacle. But think about this. When the priests want to go into the presence of God, and by the way, time out if you're like, oh, that's for pastors. According to the New Testament, you are all a royal priesthood and a chosen people. So you're priest, Okay. <laughs> I mean, no disrespect to that. But think about this. They come in the, in the tabernacle of Moses. The first thing they came to was a brazen altar. 
That's where an animal had to be sacrificed because without the shedding of blood, there's no... So what is that? It's salvation. Then they went to the laver, which was this big bronze, hammered bronze bowl that was filled with water, and they washed. Well, what is that? It's water baptism. And then after that, they went and they had a flask of oil, and they were anointed with oil. Well, what's that? It's the Holy Spirit. Do you see it? This is before, and going in, the progression of going in the presence of God was, well, there's salvation, there's water baptism, and then there's baptism with her in the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to go one more. What about Jesus? Because don't you think if, if this was real in the life of Jesus, it would be something we'd want to look at? Well, the first thing, let's talk about salvation. I don't think any of us would disagree with the fact that Jesus did not need to be saved. And the reason we know he didn't need to be saved is because he was the seed of God through the womb of a woman. The, seed, the sin is in the bloodline. It's in the seed. And so he was born a pure, spotless lamb of God. Does that make sense? Without spot or blemish. So Jesus did not need salvation. Let me say it another way. Jesus did not need to be born again because he was born right the first time. We, however are born wrong the first time. <laughs> we are born in sin, right? Come on, somebody. And so we have to be born again, which is to be made the righteousness of God in Christ. So to be born right, we have to be born again. Is everybody with me? Okay, so Jesus didn't need to be saved, but let's talk about water and spirit. Did Jesus, was Jesus water baptized? Yeah, we know. We know because he went to the Baptist to be water baptized because he said, I'm looking for somebody that's really good at baptizing. And nobody's better than baptizing than a Baptist. <laughs> and he looked for the origin of the Baptist movement, John the Baptist. I'm just kidding. And he went and said, John, you're good at baptizing. I'm going to let you baptize. But we know, Jesus, <laughs> we know Jesus was baptized in water, don't we? But then it's very clear when Jesus comes out of the water, it says the Holy Spirit, like a dove. Not a dove like the Holy Spirit. A Holy Spirit, like a dove, descended and rested on Jesus, and, and, and it says, and remained. Which is very different in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit would come upon people. Like the Spirit of God came upon Samson, right? That kind of thing. No, he rested. It's showing us a picture of what we can experience. The Holy Spirit, I mean, Jesus was born right, so there's that. But then he was baptized in water, and then the Holy Spirit came upon him and rested and remained. Now, I've got a dumb question, but we ought to ask it. If Jesus Christ, the perfect, spotless, sinless Lamb and Son of God, needed to be baptized in water and needed the Holy Spirit to rest on him, do you think that it would also maybe be beneficial for us? Right? So there, there are three baptisms. Now let me, point two doesn't take long at all, but let me give point two. We can experience all three. You can experience all three. Um, Luke 24, 49, I'm going to show you this. He says, behold, this is Jesus talking. It's in Luke's gospel. Behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but wait in Jerusalem until you're endued with power. That word endued means to be clothed to put on a robe, essentially. So here's what he said. I, I want you to understand this because many people think Jesus' last words to his followers were go into all the world. His last words were not go into all the world. 
His last words were, go wait for the promise. Because what he knew is you're going to need the Holy Spirit to go into all the world. See, when we talk about salvation, water baptism, and spirit baptism, let me show you this really quick. What is salvation? Salvation is where I become a new person. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creation, right? Water baptism is where the old person is cut away or done away with, like we bury them in the water. Are you with me? Like it's the circumcision of our flesh, Paul says. So, so salvation, I become a new creation, a new person. Water baptism, the old man is cut away. Spirit baptism is the power to be the new man, the power to walk in the new. And so when Jesus is talking to his followers, he wants them. He's already said, we're going to go into all the world. We're going to preach the gospel. This is, this is the commission. This is what you do. But here's what he said. Before you go, wait. Now I want to point out something else. Because he's telling them to go wait. In fact, let me give you this, this verse here. Acts 1-4, we read it. Let me read it again. It says, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he had said. Now these are his words, which you've heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days. Again, these are the words of Jesus, and Jesus is differentiating between water baptism and spirit baptism. Right? And, and he's saying, you go and you, and you wait. But I want you to see this because he says, look at this. I want you to go and wait for the promise of the Father, which you heard from me. But now he's going to tell you what the promise is. We just read verse 5. Let me show you. I want verse 4, wait for the promise. Verse 5, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So do you see what he just said? The promise, listen to me, the promise is a baptism. I want you to wait on the promise. John baptized with water, but there's another baptism you need. Now, I want to make this point because you understand Jesus in, I think it's John chapter 20, after the resurrection, to the same people he's talking to right here, same followers, it says very clearly in Scripture, Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So to the people that he said, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He then turns around and says, before you go, I want you to wait for the promise of the Father, which isn't baptism in water, even though that's from the Father. This promise is the baptism of fire. And you're going to need that to go. Sometimes I think we struggle doing what God called us to do because we're doing it without what God gave us to do it with. Because what he, he is telling his disciples, you are going to go turn the world upside down, but before you turn the world upside down, you wait on the power that you need to turn the world upside down. Now, I know some people say, well, it's not, it's not for everybody. I'm going to give you one more verse, then we can call it good. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter, remember we read this a minute ago, but I want to read verse 39. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized. There's salvation. Be baptized with water. Every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And you receive, look at this, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we saw repent and salvation, water baptism, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Notice it's a gift, so it's the grace of God. All right, listen, if it comes from God, it can't be bad. Only good and perfect gifts come from God, right? 
But verse 39, why I love verse 39, look at this. This promise, look at this, is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord your God will call. Do you know why I like verse 39? Because Marty Strait's in that verse. That's why I like that. Marty Strait's in that verse. Because when it says, he says to you, and he doesn't stop there, to your children, and then he says for all who are far off. Some people say, well, he's talking about geography. No, he's talking about genealogy. Because he just said, he started with you and your children. What do you think he's saying? He's saying all your descendants, everybody the Lord God calls. This is not about geography. It's about genealogy. It's about the generations. It's, he's, genera- he's talking generationally, not geographically. And why I love that verse is because I'm in that verse. He says, hey, this gift of the Holy Spirit, this promise that Jesus told us he was going to send from the Father that was going to clothe us with power, that we received power when the Holy Spirit had come upon us. This promise is for you and your kids and, and everyone, as many as the Lord God would call. And if you're here and you're a believer, I'm going to ask you this. How did you become a believer if God didn't call you? Because the Holy Spirit is the one that draws us to the Father, right? To those he predestined, those he foreknew, he predestined, those he predestined, he called, those he called, he justified, those he justified, he glorified. It's Romans 8. We're called. And we'll even quote the scripture, all things work together for the good of those who are called. We like to be called in that verse. We don't like to be the called in this verse. <laughs> right? I, I want you to think about this. You can experience all three. When, and I'll give you this last analogy illustration. So we know in Hebrew culture, there are seven feasts, but there are three major feasts, right? And so there's Passover, Pentecost, and Trumpets. Those are the three major feasts. Let me ask you a question. Can you experience Passover personally? Let me say it another way. Can you be saved? Because that's what Passover is. It's where the, the blood of Jesus is applied to my life, and so death passes over, right? So can you experience Passover? Let me ask you another question. Will you experience the second coming of Jesus? Because that's what trumpets is. It's a celebration um, about the second coming of Jesus, the coming of Jesus. So my question is, when Jesus comes again, are you going to experience that? The answer is yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Yes. Right? Well, then the next question is, then why couldn't I experience Pentecost? Because the followers of Jesus experienced Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And I experienced Passover, and I'm going to experience trumpets. So why couldn't I experience Pentecost? I think you can. I believe you can. I believe that's what the Bible talks about. And I think many times, and I'm going to tell you this, I think a lot of people don't, I'll be honest, um, we, we don't have problems with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We just have a problem with one of them. Because no one has a problem with anybody working miracles or the gift of faith or a word in season. Nobody has a problem with that, right? And, and, and listen, I need you to understand, most of us are not really set against being full of the Holy Spirit and then being immersed in the Holy Spirit. We're not set against that. We're just set against some things that we feel like go along with that. Because we were told these things go along with that. And those things seem out of control or strange or whatever. But I want you to understand, if it's from God, it's not weird. Now, weird people may have something from God, but they were weird before he got there. 
and they were going to be weird with or without him. And if you're thinking, I've never met a weird person in church, you're the weird person in our church, and we love you. But I want you to stand, and I just want to pray for you today. Um, and, and really the way that I want to pray is I just want to, here's what I would say. If it's from God and it's a gift and it's for me, then for me, very simply, I, I, I want everything God would allow me to have, right? I, I would like God, I'd like everything that God can, can, can give. Does anybody else feel that way? And if it comes from God, I don't have to be scared about it. And if Jesus is the one that talked to me about it, I don't have to be worried about it. And I also want you to understand, I'm not trying to behave a certain way or do a certain thing. I just am, you, listen, when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you receive the gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit the same way you receive the gift of righteousness, which is salvation. And I know a lot of people worry about tongues. I'm going to talk all about that next week. I'm going to break it down as simply as I can put it and as much as I can explain. But today, nobody's, we're not worrying about that, okay? So nobody freaked out about that. Nobody's trying to get you to do anything weird. What I want to say is, if you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, how, how am I saved? I receive the gift, the free gift of God's righteousness by grace through faith. H how am I water baptized? Well, I believe it's a grace of God where God does something supernatural in my life, cutting away the old, but how do I, it's by grace through faith. And so how do I receive a baptism with her in the Holy Spirit? By grace through faith. It's that simple. And I just, you know, I want to say this and I don't mean any disrespect, but everyone in the book of Acts who received the gift of the Holy Spirit just simply receive the gift of the Holy Spirit because there was no doctrine to tell them the evidence of it or how they were supposed to act with it. Are, are, is that clear? Like, I don't mean any disrespect to that. I'm just saying there was no doctrine about, well, this is the initial physical evidence. That wasn't a doctrine. They just laid their hands on and said, receive the Holy Spirit. They received the Holy Spirit and God worked out the rest. Let's let God work out the rest and let's just receive from Him. So I want to pray for you. So let's bow our heads. And if you're at home, bow your heads with us. And, and I'm just going to pray. And what I'm going to pray is if you're here today and you want to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, I think you receive it by grace through faith. And I'm just going to pray that you receive it. And it's not about doing a certain thing or acting a certain way. It's about letting the Holy Spirit do a work of grace in our lives. It's about Jesus taking us with the, or taking us to him, immersing us in his spirit. And so God, I just, I pray for my friends, God, that are in this room and even online. God, those who, who like me, they just, anything that's from you, God, it's gotta be good and I want it. And I don't wanna leave anything on the table. I want everything, God, that I can have from you. And God, if you have a gift and it's a promised gift and it's a baptism in the Holy Spirit, and God, and, and I believe you do. And we need that, God, so we can live the life you created and called us to. God, we can live that life full of the power of God. Then, God, we want that. We don't want to stop short. And we don't want to let our theology get in the way. We don't let our doctrine. We don't let our experience. God, right now, this moment is just simply about us and you. And God, we know every good and perfect gift comes from you.
And so, God, I just pray right now that we'd receive. And so if you just heads bow, but if you want to receive, I, I like to put my hands kind of palms up, just kind of like I'm receiving a gift from God. You don't have to do that. It's just something I like to do. But if you want to receive baptism of the Holy Spirit, then I'm going to encourage you just right now say, God, I, I ask for and I receive by faith the baptism with or in the Holy Spirit. And God, I pray as they pray and they ask and they receive that God, just as the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, God, I pray that the fire of the Holy Spirit would come in, in our church and rest on our people, rest on me and on our hearts, that we would be endued with power from on high. God, that the power of the Holy Spirit would come and be poured out on us and rest on us. God, that we would be able to live the life you called and created us for. God, we need your power. And so, Lord, we receive right now, God, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. God, we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. God, we pray, rest on us. And God, I pray right now you would pour it out on all of us, Lord. We receive it now in Jesus' name. God, fill us with your power. Clothe us with your power. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you. God, you are so good. You are so good. Man, come on, can we give him praise today? And you say, well, how do I know? How do I know if it's filled? We'll talk more about that. But here's how you know. When you see fruits and you see gifts of the Holy Spirit, that's the evidence that you've been clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit. Not when you see fruitiness, when you see fruits <laughs> and gifts. All right. Uh, I'm going to ask our prayer team to come. We end every worship experience with a time of prayer. We'd love to pray for anyone who has a need for prayer. Or if you need a relationship with Jesus, you just need to be forgiven. You need to be washed in the blood of Jesus, as we say. Uh, saved, however you want to, whatever vernacular you want to put to it, we want to pray with you. But if you have a need of anything at all, we would love to pray for you. Everybody else, hey, I wish you a happy Father's Day. I love you. God bless you. Get your kids. Grab a brat. Have an amazing day. We'll see you next weekend.